0: what's that football focus <laughs> doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to P.M.L. Ready to get into it? Man? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about and stuff. Am I going to get too We got legal on this. I yeah, like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. It's hard to tell what the bigger story coming out of an epic Monday Night Football doubleheader was. The team doing something that nobody's managed to do in over 700 tries before, or Tommy DeVito's agent. But that's the dilemma we're left with here on this Tuesday morning. Uh, helping me break down that and our draft mailbag today is Trevor Sikema. How is it going? Good, sir. We got a lot to talk about, man. I yeah. mean, normally, obviously, we do
1: Tuesday shows and Monday Night Football, a single game is enough to talk about for a show. But like you said, not only do we have the actual games, the actual results to evaluate, we've got all sorts of like extracurricular stuff to be able to evaluate as well, like Tommy DeVito's age. Every single part of Tommy DeVito's life that we get to peer behind the curtain is the most, yeah, of course it is, that we've ever, like, it just, it multiplies every time we learn a little bit more about this guy.
0: It's funny, though, like Kevin Clark from, where is he now, Omaha, has uh, got a podcast there. Yeah, he's a Peyton. There. He's a right. Peyton's, Peyton's guy. Um, he had this tweet that's like, every other sport is desperate to generate stars, and the NFL is like, the Giants have an Italian guy, and it's a national story. It's 100% true. <laughs> Tommy DeVito is, just rocks up being so, Italian. so,
1: true, man. We say it all the time. This league is just at no point in the calendar is this league boring. No point. It's at the NFL. It's, it's the, uh, you know, the greatest drama, soap opera, TV series, reality TV series that's ever existed.
0: Peyton and Eli were just straight up calling Tommy DeVito cutlets during the broadcast. So they're just like, cutlets, he's on the run. Like, just legitimately nicknaming him Cutlets and rolling with it. Can't, fla- can't fault it. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. I love everything about Tommy DeVito, his family, his agent, and the nickname Cutlets. I love all of it. I love all of it. And the fact that it's in New York, right? If, I mean, if, if he was doing this
1: for... Indianapolis. Yeah, like Indianapolis, like nobody—I don't want to say nobody cares because it'd still be an exciting story of a of a rookie undrafted rookie quarterback playing really, really well. But like, it's the fact that it's in New York that he comes from the most Italian family of all time. That his family looks as Italian as you possibly can. That his agent somehow looks like a cartoon character of an (laughs) Italian person because it's that spot on. I mean, it's just, it's the, every single touchdown, they're doing the same thing. All of us are, they're doing the, you know, they're doing the, the Italian emoji.
0: It's just, man, it's, it's. It's unbelievable. It is beautiful. Anyway, before we get into the games proper, uh, we're going to talk about securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a $1 million in coverage, for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com pffnfl, M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pff nfl policies issued by western southern life insurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions all right you wanna I,
1: go? I thought you're i thought you were gonna say you know starting with securing your family's financial future but via tommy devito's agent like yeah. i thought that's where we were going with
0: that that man will secure you yeah he'll secure you the bag um well let's go game by game yeah let's let's start with, let's go one game then the other which one do you want to go first
1: uh, I mean, we can start with the Giants one. You okay. can do that one if you want.
0: Yeah, let's do that. So, uh, obviously, you've got cutlets. Um, but honestly, the biggest story in this game to me is the Jordan Love um, improvement. The, the Jordan Love, the switch that had been flipped over the last few weeks, it got flipped back. He went yeah. back into being Jordan Love from earlier in the season where every pass was inaccurate, seemingly. The ball location was trash on almost all of them. Uh, And he just, everything everything went back. Everything reverted back to where it was. And I kind of was left with this impression of how much of the NFL on a week-to-week basis is just fabricated narrative because we're dealing in small sample sizes and week-to-week changes. And Jordan Love might have just had two or three good games consecutively. And we're like, it's happened. The breakout, here it is. He's the guy of the future. The Packers nailed it. The transition has been flawless. Everybody's going to start looking to do this. And now it's three weeks later. We're like, oh, maybe not. Maybe it's just the same. Actually, nothing's changed.
1: Well, we feed into the machine, right? It's a byproduct of what we talked about before. Um, And not just like us personally. I mean, like everyone who follows the game of football is like this. Because when we say at the top of the show that the NFL is the greatest reality TV show of all time, we all get caught up in it. We all get sucked up into that. And so you know, as guys improve, we go, oh, yeah, like, this is, like, this dude's the future. Like you mentioned, Jordan Love has a couple of good games, and now we're saying, like, yeah, he's a top-ten quarterback. Like, easy. You know, how do you not see it? Like, it's right there in front of you. And last night, obviously, it was a massive regression. And the truth is always in between. Like, I think that when it comes to takes on especially quarterbacks, you're either – you're either on a Hall of Fame ascension or you're trash. Like, it's, it's it's one of the two. There's barely ever any nuance to these conversations where you find the actual truth within in the gray area in between. And for Jordan Love, it's probably just that. Like, I think over the last couple of games, we're allowed to note the fact that he started to play a lot better football. But you also have to note that on Monday Night Football, on the road against a team that you should have beat, you had a... More than a handful of throws, it felt like that were just you. I mean, the the one I I can't tell you exactly like what point it was, but if I explained it to you, you might remember. Very beginning of the game it was in that first quarter. It's a third down throw, and he just absolutely sails it to the left. It, they they really didn't have like that much that they had to that they had to gain to, in order to get the first down. And you see this dude like completely throw away all mechanics he throws it like a pitcher the leg swings all the way out and the ball just sails over i can't even remember which receiver it was and it goes incomplete and they got to punt the football and it's like dude that was like i you you, you it was almost like he felt like he he wasn't getting pressured nobody right. was about to hit him it was nothing like that he just faded away and gave up all of his technique to throw that ball in a way that i don't know he felt like he needed to throw it and it's those it's kind of those moments where you go all right you are still learning the consistencies like it's not just a natural no question about it I'm going to set my feet I'm going to point my shoulders I'm going to have the thumb go into the opposite pocket you know I'm going to follow through the way that I need to because that throw was just a microcosm of what it felt like that game was for Jordan Love and it felt as though three quarters of that game were really frustrating stuff like that and then I think midway through the third quarter, and then getting into the fourth quarter. Not that he was perfect from that point on, but you could tell Jordan Love was basically like, "All right, like lock the hell in, like let." Because the drive at the end for them to take the lead before, of course, Cutlets you know comes down and does what everybody knew that he was going to do mm-hmm. in, in in you know vintage Tom Brady, Tommy Cutlitz format. Jordan Love had a good drive, and he had a handful of really good throws. And obviously, he kept up that drive with a touchdown. It gets them the lead, and so it felt as though. He just was not locked in the way he needed to be through probably most of the first three quarters. And again, I don't think that means that we just throw away the previous two or three weeks where he looked really good. But clearly we have to take everything as it comes and say, all right, the ceiling is starting to be reached. But the floor is still lower than we want it to be from a week-to-week basis, and that's where we have Jordan Love right now.
0: And even that dynamic of, like, slow starting and then suddenly catching fire late in the game, he's been doing that all year as well. Like, we, Jordan Love has some of the weirdest splits I've ever seen in terms of, like, first half, second half. So first half in this game, PFF grade of 48 for Jordan Love. Uh, In the third quarter, 78. So we jump right back up after the once we get into the second half and then fourth quarter 85.7 like fourth quarter Jordan Love was pretty much where he'd been the last few weeks it just it, that's that's been a trend this season like his grading for the second half is incredibly uh different to his grading in the first half for reasons that make no sense to me like I don't have any kind of good explanation for that um but that part is is regressing back to the rest of the season as well. He I think leads the league at this point in plays where he abandons his mechanics for no good reason. There you know part of playing quarterback in today's NFL is being able to throw without, you know, prototypical mechanics, not being able to step into the throw, throwing from weird angles, leading away from it because, you know, defenders are in your way or bodies are making a mess of the pocket, all these kinds of things. So you have to be able to do that it's an important skill but you shouldn't be doing it voluntarily when you don't have to and love has so many plays where your initial viewing of it is like was he under pressure there did that you know was that forced because of the defensive end bearing down on him and then you look at the replay and you're like no for some reason he just decided to like do a fade away jumper to the left for no good reason right. and the interception was a good example of that like the the mannings were both looking at that throw going did that get tipped? Did somebody get a piece of that in the way out of the pocket? And then you're like, no, it was just bad. Like, there was a safety there the whole way, even if it hadn't been, or even if it had been tipped, it was a bad decision. And it yeah. took, you know, three or four replays to look at this and go, no, he, th- there's no reason for that. He just airmailed the ball to a safety for, again, no no good reason. I, it, that's a strange part of his game at this at this stage. Like, why are there so many plays where he's kind of voluntarily tossing away his mechanics to just throw strange passes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that just feels like where we're at with Jordan Love. And again, I I don't think that this totally takes away what we saw the last couple of weeks. It's not like what we saw the last couple of weeks didn't count or didn't happen or was fool's gold. He's he's seeming to get a lot closer to that ceiling we believe that he could have. uh, And we're seeing that more often. But the floor... Yeah, like I mentioned, it it it's still lower than what you need it to be. Like you can't if you're gonna start off the game and not play well, like it can't be like forties PFF grade. Like it can't be as bad as it was last night. If you're starting off a game and you're not hot, like okay, a couple of incompletions, some miscues, things like that, but it can't be full mechanics or going out the window kinds of stuff. I mean, it's just really hard to win in this league if you're high and low variance is that kind of low variance. It, it, when you talk about low variance, it's got to be like miscommunications, the defense is showing you something that you're not uh, used to seeing, those kinds of things. The mistakes that you can control, you got to be able to control those and I think Jordan Love is still working through being able to do that cuz very clearly, third quarter, fourth quarter, he can lock in. You know, he he can basically like say to himself like, "All right, let's do it." You know, it's the meme of the guy with the controller right and he's just like sitting back most of the game and then it's like all right fourth quarter okay i'm right. going to lean in i'm going to get closer to the tv and i'm going to be serious about it here so um that kind of feels like jordan love right now and there's just a little too much a little too much distance between how relaxed he is with the controller and then how close he is to the tv with the controller
0: yeah wildly just wildly streaky at the moment um but i do wonder if the fact that he seems to be able to consistently turn it on in the fourth quarter would at least suggest that that it's controllable. It's not just random, right? It's not just sometimes he's hot, sometimes he's not, and there's really no way of telling which version you're going to get. It's like there, he does seem to be able to tap into it and dial into the good Jordan Love, which means theoretically we should be able to get it out of him in other quarters of the game as well, right? We right, should be able right, to get this right. in the first half if we can just figure out what the trigger is to get good Jordan Love, if we can convince him somehow you know, psychologically start the game, you're down 10. You need to lock in. We're in trouble. Like, we need you now. Um, It's It's very strange, though. Uh, On the other side of the ball, I thought Wandale Robinson had a great game. Like, the Giants, in a kind of similar way to the Packers, actually, they've got this very young, sort of mixed-up receiving core that's often much maligned as a weakness and a, a problem for the team. But I think there's quite a lot of talented players on it, and this game in particular... Wandale Robinson made a few spectacular plays like incredible sideline catch made another play late in the game where he went up at five foot eight and just like jumped over a linebacker and uh you know a, a safety as well maybe his best game in the NFL
1: yeah I got to talk to Wandale before he got drafted I I did a feature story with him um uh, over at pff.com anybody can go find it if they haven't read it and. He's awesome. I, I mean, you go back to you know his college journey. He actually started at Nebraska and they actually wanted him, had him playing running back for a little bit. And then he kind of was like, okay, well, I don't want to be a running back because if I'm a running back, I'm five foot eight, 180 pounds. I'm going to get killed. And I probably have no shot at the NFL at that point. So uh, he ends up going to Kentucky switches over to receiver starts really coming into his own at receiver declares for the draft goes in the second round you know i thought he was playing really well before he tore his acl last year now he's coming back aikman mentioned this on the broadcast this point of the year kind of a duh because we're just getting further away from when he tore his acl but probably as healthy as he's ever been and right. you can see him now playing with all sorts of confidence and wandale was always this player who yeah okay some size limitations sure he's five foot eight but he had some fearless catches when he was at Kentucky trying to go up and get it over over guys. And you know, a lot of defensive backs are what? You know, five foot ten, five foot eleven. It's not like defensive backs are normally towering players. It's usually the other way around with receivers. So he believes that he's got a chance to go up and be a contested catch type of receiver, but he also gets involved in the obvious ways too. The short dump off passes that he could take for a lot of yards after catch and yards after contact. He's you can make guys miss. You can make guys miss in the open. Guys miss in the open. In the open field. So I always
0: really liked for this end room, end room, end room, end room,
1: end. Room. Yes.
0: I think your uh, your sound's gone wonky again, Trev. Uh, so we'll we'll stall for a moment while you fix it. Um, yeah, look, I I think that was a game that showed what Wandale Robinson can be in this offense. Um, but he's not alone. Like we got a few big plays from. Um, Isaiah Hodgins made a couple of plays uh who I think Jalen Hyatt Jalen Hyatt made a couple of uh, nice plays as well, even if there was a drop in there like I think we got to see that this is a viable receiving core, even if the quarterback is cutlets as opposed to Danny dimes or Tyrod Taylor uh we tried to make sure that that didn't
1: happen by me unplugging my mic and <laughs> plugging it back in before the show, but uh you know unfortunately here we are. I was on a good Juan l Robinson roll, so I'm gonna start right back into that because uh-huh. he is somebody who when you look at this Giants receiver room, I think he catches unnecessary flack. Because when we look at the room, we go, Man, they need more talent. Like people talk about them drafting a wide receiver in the first round and Malik Neighbors of Marvin Harrison Jr., a Romo Dunze. They talk about, you know, bringing T. Higgins in or a Michael Pittman Jr. or something like that in free agency, a Mike Evans, whatever it is. And I think Wandale gets an unnecessary amount of like criticism and heat. And it's just because when you look at him, you go, "All right, this would be a great like wide receiver two option." So when you look at the the Giants' wide receiver room and you say, "Okay, Wandale's got to be the wide receiver one," that's a bit of a stretch for people to believe. But last night, I hope we got a reminder of how talented this dude is. And when the Giants continue to add to the to their receiver room and their pass catchers, and they do get a guy who's probably more of the traditional wide receiver one, bigger outside receiver an X type of guy who went on the line of scrimmage in the red zone. Then you complement that with Wandale and you got a really nice, you got a really nice one, two punch. I think he's pass catcher. So I just really hope that like last night was a good reminder for people who forgot what kind of a talent Wandale was when he was playing at Kentucky, what he was becoming before he tore his ACL last year. Cause I think he's a really good football player.
0: So we'll get on to uh, Cutlets in just a moment. But one other thing I I wanted to bring up about this game before we got there is the only reason the Packers had a shot at this was that Saquon Barkley fumble with, what, four minutes left in the game. The Giants Mm -hmm. are up. The Giants have got a a five-point lead. They're driving. They just get this big play from Saquon Barkley. And then he kind of trips, stumbles over without getting tackled and loses the ball on the turf as he goes to ground. Valentine is able to scoop it up and returns like a big return like what do you like a 50 yards out of that that set Green Bay up before the two-minute warning to get their touchdown to take the lead to force the force a game again that play could have been absolutely brutal to the Giants
1: yeah no and and all turnovers are right and I think that that was (laughs) that was the story of both of those games is like the turnovers that were crazy that kind of swung things and then obviously those last three four minute opportunities that both of those teams had certainly the titans were able to overcome it and win that football game and the packers offense did what they needed to do right they got ahead on the scoreboard and the defense just couldn't hold up their end of the bargain so that was kind of just the story of both of those games and what made them both so close last night
0: it's i every time that play happens i hate the rule so much but i can't actually fault it like the because there's that classic cliche, right? Of the ground can't force a fumble, but it can force mm-hmm. an incompletion. Except in this circumstance, where it can actually force a fumble. If nobody touches you down and you just fall over, you still need to keep hold of the ball because it's still live. The play hasn't stopped, so yeah, you can't just say yeah, the ground can't force a fumble because the ball's live. If you if you're not touched, the play's still going. You could get up and and you know get more yardage. So. You have to keep hold of the football, but it just seems wrong to like the you know fall over and then the turf essentially rip the ball from your grasp through you know friction or whatever once you hit it. I I, I hate that rule, but I can't come up with you a reason was, why. Do you I wish it was
1: college where you're just down no matter what? No,
0: because I like the idea that you can get up and keep the like. I don't like the play is dead once you fall over. I think that's bad. So that's my problem. Is it?
1: I don't know how mu- I don't know how much I like that. Like obviously, oh, like it leads to some crazy. You know, plays where it's like, oh, okay, like this guy kind of like rolled to the ground and he, the defender thought he was touched, but he wasn't. He got up and he just ran 60 yards. I don't know. I think I, I think I like it better for the integrity of the game that you're down when you hit the ground.
0: No, I think there's too many good plays where, you know, you, sh- you should be yeah, able but- to get back up again and keep going until you're tackled, until you're stopped. You haven't been stopped. You just fell over. The play should still be live. Yeah, but that's on you. <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm but saying like, like if you fall over, that's on you. Right. It is. It's your fault. It's but it shouldn't end. Over. The, but it shouldn't end the play. Like the the idea that we just everybody stops. It's okay. It's cool. We finish now because he <laughs> fell over. Is absurd. Like <laughs> nah. It's punishment. You
1: gotta be better. You gotta be more balanced. We gotta we gotta run like we gotta like bring the circus into town in training camp and have you like walk across a wire during training camp to up the balance to make sure that you're not falling down.
0: No, I think the play keeps going until the defend the defenders have either tackled you to the ground or forced you out of bounds. Anything short of that, keep on fighting, fellas. And if that's the case, then the play is still alive. There needs to be some way of like that's so. I hate the fact that if you fall over on you and the ball comes out because it's kind of hard to keep hold of a football once you fall into the turf. Now, nah, uh, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, I know. I that's what that's what annoys me. <laughs> but then you get plays like this and it's like I don't I don't like this being a fumble, but I can't come up with a good reason why it shouldn't be one.
1: I maybe I'm just I'm not remembering the right ones, but I feel like more often than not the cool or crazy plays that we get from the no touch contact rule with the ground where you get up and you just keep running is like not really the game of football you know it's it's a situation where like some guy makes a diving catch and he dives and he hits the ground and the defender like maybe just misses him maybe he thinks that he brushes his hand up against him maybe he thinks that somebody else touched him before or whatever and they literally stop playing and then the offensive guy just gets up and runs and like to me that's not really the game of football. No, but like so that's.
0: I, I think there's to, there's so many plays that are just routine. A guy gets up and gains five more yards, right? Like the, the guy slips. You know, th- there's a bunch of plays. Where don't like, slip. That's 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 my point. Right, but my my point is there's a ton of like routine nfl plays that wouldn't exist if you had that rule it's like that's way worse than you know taking it away because of one freaky play where a guy isn't quite touchdown, he can get up and everybody stop playing and those ones i agree are kind of janky and there's nothing inherently right. good about them but like right. i think mccaffrey had a play last week right where he like slipped over in the backfield immediately popped back up and then executed the play as if nothing had happened in your world that play's dead because McCaffrey lost his footing. It's like, that sucks. It's like, just a random... It's a pointless NFL play that, that we had to remove because the guy lost his footing. That that feels like a bad development to me.
1: Stay up. <laughs> Stay up. All right. That's, that's, that's my response. Now
0: Stay we, we got to talk about Cutlets. Um, look, aside from... Every meme is hilarious. Everything about him is fantastic. I love this, but... Let's not lose sight of the fact he's playing good football and winning games.
1: He's fun, man. I, I mean, they're they're not asking him to do a ton, obviously. You know, right. you look at his passing line. He's 17 for 21, obviously a high completion percentage, but it's 158 yards. They weren't asking him to push the ball down the field a ton. Um, As a runner, you know, you had a lot of success. 10 carries, 71 yards. Had a 26-yarder, which was the longest one. And so it's like, they're basically getting the most out of what you would expect to possibly get from an undrafted rookie quarterback. So to that, you gotta, you gotta say salute to Brian Dable and Mike Kafka and, and, uh, the offensive minds there in, in New York for obviously putting together a game plan that's, that's, that's really working. And I think that the Giants defense is also playing better, right? I think that Wink has that defense playing at a higher level than they were certainly at the beginning of the year. I think the Giants' struggles at the beginning of the year were not only the fact that, you know, you had quarterback up and downs and offensive up and downs, but it was also just the defense was not holding up its end of the bargain. And I think that that's a little bit different now. Defense has kind of gotten back towards like, okay, we're playing good football on a pretty regular basis. And DeVito is making the two or three throws that he needs to I mean that touchdown in the corner you know he's rolling to the right I mean that's a beauty like that was a that was a I am fully confident in where I am and what I'm doing kind of a throw because Jordan Love had the chance to hit that exact same throw I believe later in the game very shortly after and it was just a little bit outside like the ball placement was a little bit outside and and um I can't remember who ended up catching it but they didn't have enough room to get both feet inbounds. So it's just one of those things where it's like the, the margin for error is so, so, so small. And DeVito hit it. And he also hit the pass, obviously, to get them into field goal range at the end of the game. I mean, just that it was it's fun watching a guy play as confidently as he is. Do I think that he's gonna uh you know take away Daniel Jones throne and contract? No, I don't think that we are there yet, but he is clearly showing the Giants and their fans, that it can look a lot better than it was when Daniel Jones was in there at quarterback. Right. So that's kind of, if the fire was not already lit under Daniel Jones in his time in New York, it certainly is now. I don't want to hold anything against a guy for like being hurt or playing hurt or things like that, but when you have an undrafted free agent rookie playing the way that DeVito has... That shows you kind of like what the floor should be of this team and this offense with this coaching staff, and there were too many times when Jones and the rest of this offense just were not up to par, and now they are. So this is kind of we have raised the bar of what is the lowest level of expectation for Giants offensive football because of what we're seeing from Tommy DeVito right now.
0: Yeah, it, it's still a bad situation, and he's he's winning games and looking pretty competent doing it. He's already, I think, tied the record for the most wins by an undrafted free agent quarterback ever. Um, and I don't think he's winning the starting job there, but he might be, or I think he is, winning the backup job there. And whether the starter is Daniel Jones oh, clearly, or yeah. he's essentially pushing them towards the next answer, whatever that is, and them trying to trade away Daniel Jones, he's positioning himself as you know, the primary backup in that spot, which for an undrafted rookie quarterback is a hell of an achievement. Like forget projecting forward what he can be and maybe he can be more than that. Maybe he, he can be a quality starter going forward. But if he's able to win himself a principal backup job in the NFL because of this run of play, that's an amazing achievement for a guy that nobody had any, you know, optimism for coming into the, coming into the draft that he didn't get drafted in.
1: Oh, I, I think we're already there. Uh, like, I think that even if they, well, you know, you lose out the rest of the season, it looks terrible, probably changes your point of view. But, like, even right. then, you will always be able to point to this stretch and be like, no, 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 like, look, he was an undrafted rookie. It was his first year. There were going to be ups and downs. Look at the ups. The ups could win football games in this league. So, I think we're already there with him. And, and the rest of this season is just kind of him playing with house money Uh, for – what that next situation is going to be. Uh, I know he's a rookie, so he's under contract, so it's not like he's going anywhere. But, you know, when that second contract does come around, you stay in New York, you are going somewhere else, you'll probably have a little bit of a bidding war at this point just from even what we saw in this rookie season.
0: All right, let's move to the other game. Um, weird game, which was... Super like weird a, a, a real struggle for most of the game nobody was scoring points Tyreek Hill gets hurt leaves the game eventually comes back but is missing for a big chunk of time and while he's mm-hmm. gone it's like this Miami offense looks totally different it's not functioning two is not playing well the titans of all teams are the the team to finally expose Miami's offensive line for being um you know a potential problem admittedly not necessarily the starting five that they would normally have or want you know they're they're down to the bench and that's a a problem but austin jackson fresh off his new contract was getting wrecked on the edge bunch of problems anyway so it's this low scoring affair and then miami get a couple of scores and all of a sudden they're covering 13 and a half points late in the game you're like well that's it game wrapped up you know bedtime we're done we're done with this and actually, no, because it turns out the, the Tennessee Titans and Will Levis execute comeback that hasn't happened in the last 767 attempts, uh, which is a, the first team to win after going down 14 points with under three minutes left since 2016. NFL teams are now 1-767 and in that scenario.
1: Mike Vrabel has so many of those wins, doesn't he? I mean, the Titans, since he took over in 2018, the Titans have so many wins where they are punching above their weight class. And to me, that is the sign of a good head coach. And it's just, I mean, whether it was the year that they somehow got the one seed in the AFC or the times that they, you know, went on the playoff run and and just, like, upset these teams that nobody thought that they were going to upset, Tom Brady's Patriots being one of them, like... I just feel never, ever, ever count out a Mike Vrabel team. No matter how bad the roster is, no matter how bad the season is, the Titans can somehow go into Miami with a rookie quarterback down 13 with four minutes left and still win the game. And it's just, man, I my hat is off to Mike Vrabel. I don't always agree with how they do it or the team-building aspect of it, but it's a result-based business, and the Titans get a lot more of those winning results than I thought that they deserved to get over the last couple of years. And I think that that is uh, a big reason for that. It's just because the mentality that Vrabel has on this team and how he coaches this team.
0: And one of the reasons they won is because they did one of those sort of classic analytics plays. Yeah, baby. By going yeah, baby. with the first touchdown, right? Down 14 points. So two seven-point touchdowns. They... Get the first one. There's, what, two minutes and 46 seconds left on the clock. They get the first touchdown, and then they go for two, and they convert that. They get the two-point conversion, so they got eight of their 14 needed points, which means the next time they score a touchdown, which they eventually did, they only needed the extra point to win the game. They didn't need Mm -hmm. to go for two to win, and they could just kick an extra point and walk off, and that's why you do that for this exact scenario. So 0 and seven hundred and sixty-seven became one and seven hundred and sixty-seven in large part because they went for two in their first available attempt.
1: Uh, just a big dub for analytics, you know. Just hats off to analytics for last night for playing one hell of a game. But no, <laughs> I, it was it was it was it was a, it was a cool scenario to see something like that work it's um a situation where i think a lot of people look at it and certainly people who um don't want to embrace i think maybe the changes of the game and how things go and and you have a tangible example to say hey this is the advantageous part of this you can go for two and if you don't get it okay well then you just have to go for two the next time and you know odds would tell you you'd probably be able to get it and if you're a team that can Converted a decently high clip, then you'll be able to get the second one if you didn't get the first one. So then you tie the game, and you're exactly where you were before when you were kicking extra points. And so instead, you now actually give yourself a chance to win a game by only scoring two instead of having to take it into overtime. And man, it was uh, it was it was awesome to see. I thought that was a, that that was a really cool move by uh, Vrabel, and it was cool to see it pay off.
0: Um, we need to talk about Will Levis. So I. Love Will Levis, and I think he's an absolute psychopath. Uh, We saw it, I think, last week or maybe two weeks ago where he's, like, doing the Levis copter, you know, launching himself John Elway style for, like, a first down (laughs) randomly in the middle of the game. You're like, what are you doing? This is psychotic behavior. Stop this. In this game, he's, like, trucking Jalen Ramsey in the open field, like, with his throwing shoulder. I'm going to lower the shoulder into one of the best run-defending corners in the game and try and run him over in the open field and with and do it with my throwing shoulder. It's mental, but I love watching it. So,
1: him and Vrabel are the perfect pair, right? I mean, just these, like, two nuts, meathead, football-loving, <laughs> physical contact kind of— I mean— Will Levis is just a battering ram. And I could not have thought of a better place for him to start his career because he is Levis is of like that Josh Allen type of mold where it's just like a ton of physical traits. And you've got to kind of be able to rope them in sometimes because they want to make every single play imaginable, including with their legs and kind of putting their body in danger, which we saw last night, which I think is a good thing for will levis now because it's really inspiring the rest of the team around him right i mean if you look at that and you'd be like damn our quarterback's willing to like lower the shoulder and get a couple extra yards or two like for us like like okay so i tweeted at the beginning of this game this is after the titans second drive i believe that was bad i mean the titans started this game off very poorly and it looked like they didn't want to be there, man. I mean, they looked like they were sleepwalking. They looked like they were—they knew that they were going to get killed in this game. And to see those players, as the game went on, get a little bit more pride, a little bit more fire, a little bit more energy, focus as the game went on to eventually get to that point where there's four minutes left in the game. They're down 13. And... They believe in the dude around him, especially the guy who's playing quarterback, because they know that he's going to give it everything he possibly can. And I think he showed that in previous weeks. He just had a couple of mistakes that showed up as like turnovers or missed throws, missed opportunities, things like that. Last night, it didn't. Last night, they were believing in him. He was there in that spot and he delivered. And I thought that it was obviously a very up and down game for Will Levis. But he showed us so many times last night why he should have been a first round pick, man. Mm-hmm. I I I don't really I don't really know why he wasn't. There have been so many quarterbacks who have been picked as first round quarterbacks for less. I mean, he's got mobility with his legs. He's tough as nails. He's got a rocket launcher of an arm. I mean, there were I I had tweeted this out last night. There was a play where He's stepping into a throw, sure, but he's hitting a whole shot. I think it's covered too. I can't I can't didn't see the uh, the all 22, but it's between where the corner zone is and where the safety zone is toward the sideline, and he's getting hit. He's throwing the ball and getting hit the other way, and he has enough arm strength where that ball still stays on a rope and zips straight to the wide receiver right in between those two zones of coverage, and it's like there are seven quarterbacks maybe who can make that throw and he's one of them and it's just like that's insane levels of arm talent that he had work in progress sure but the framework of what we saw last night for a quarterback that you draft develop and believe in that can take you to the highest of heights in this league will levis has the tools to be able to do that
0: yeah, his arm is silly. I mean, I think we mentioned this last week, or, or I did to Steve. Uh, he reminds me of Justin Herbert in terms of every time you watch the guy play, there's a couple of throws where you're like, that's that's stupid. You shouldn't be able to do that. Like, most people can't do that. Most quarterbacks can't do that. And he's able to fire in some of these passes exactly like that because of his arm. Um, I also think, like, okay – in an ideal world, you don't want your quarterback trying to truck Jalen Ramsey, or you don't want him even more. You want, him,
1: you want him to do it once,
0: <laughs> like, sure. like you
1: want you want to show the rest of the team. That you that like yeah. you are never you are again. Not just like a, yeah, you're not just right. like a quarterback who's in bubble wrap. Like you're one of them. You're in the trenches with them, but you basically only want to do it once.
0: Or perhaps even more egregiously, try and like throw your shoulder into the defensive tackle that just picked you off while he's already in the end zone. Like you're not that even that was worse. <laughs> you're, you're not even stopping him. Score the touchdown. He's already scored at the point you're trying to truck him. That yeah. maybe is even worse than that. Um, So in an ideal world, you probably don't want your quarterback doing that, right? On the other hand, not everybody is Tom Brady. And if you're not Tom Brady and you're not just going to make robotic, amazing decisions and throws time after time after time after time, if you want to compete with that guy, you've got to bring something else to the table, right? And if Will Levis's thing right now is complete and total reckless abandon with his own body, And, okay, that's going to run out at some point. Maybe you're going to need to transition. But for the moment, that's going to help him offset a lack of experience, a lack of decision-making relative to some veterans that have been in the league for a while or just better players, period. Like, that can buoy him up for a while while he adjusts to the NFL. We talked about this in terms of, like, athletic quarterbacks, Right. If you can run, if you can make some plays, pick up some first downs with with your legs, that buys you a lot of time to get better as a passer. This kind of thing buys Levis some time, right? That willingness to throw your body where other people won't is going to buy him some more time to get better as a passing quarterback. I also think, by the way, people dunking on him for that throwing to a defensive tackle thing, the Mannings broke that down pretty well on the broadcast, I think, like, you're that's not really on the quarterback you are throwing a screen essentially assuming that things are going to be the way they should be yeah and right. the defensive tackle is getting owned on the play it's skaronski i think right has him like two or three yards deep off the line of scrimmage he's losing yeah. his pass rush rep badly and as peyton manning said like that guy gets rewarded for being a bad pass rusher on that play he's getting wrecked by skaronski at the line and and then realizes it quickly enough to peel off and, and make the the grab on a screen. It's a great play by Sealer in terms of reading it, understanding what was coming, getting in the way. Levis, I don't think, can reasonably be expected to anticipate that and not throw that ball. He is yeah. throwing to where the, where it's supposed to be and gets unlucky.
1: Especially that type of screen, right, where you're up against your own end zone, and it's a screen that's, not it, it, it's not very far away from the original line of scrimmage right so there's all sorts of moving parts going on and it's sort of like you know it's sort of like a like a power or pulling run play you kind of just have to trust that there's a lot of chaos going on in front of you and you've got to trust okay this is kind of my aiming point this is when the offensive lineman is going to cross all the chaos and then be the lead blocker up between the hole whatever it is and so that's a that was a really tough screen obviously like you don't want to see it happen and it looks pretty bad on Levis in real time when you're just watching the game but with context I agree I do agree with you I saw it again I watched the replay and it's like man there's so much going on around him for that particular screen I didn't even really think about too much of the reason uh Tyler was there was because he was just getting bodied like four yards back right. I mean that that also makes sense but it's honestly, you're throwing to a spot you're throwing timing and it's 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 tough to really put that one on level.
0: It's barely even a screen. It's like a pivot route. The only screen yeah, element of right. it is the center like sprinting his way up to the the linebacker. And honestly, if you really wanted to, you could throw a flag for a legal man downfield. The guy's like I was three yards say, up. Yeah. But like it's basically a pivot route and instead of throwing behind the line into wide open space, it, he ends up throwing it right to the defensive tackle. That isn't supposed to be there, is only there because he's getting wrecked by Skaronsky and it's been driven three yards back into the into, into coverage, essentially. Like the, the the defensive tackle has been driven into a place of coverage that he's not supposed to be occupying. And I don't think you should reasonably be expecting Levis to anticipate that and not put the ball in the air. So, you know, I I love watching this guy play. You tweeted, I think, that there's a lot of Baker Mayfield in his game. And I it's right. It's like, what if Baker Mayfield was like a physical specimen. That's basically Will Levis was right six, now. Six four.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I, and that's that's kind of the way that I feel about him. That's that mentality, and that's like that's why I brought up Josh Allen first, right? Because like Josh Allen also has some of that like Baker Mayfield mentality, right. where it's just I'm gonna put my body on the line for everything. I'm gonna go for these big crazy throws, like. Baker is also that way. He's just not nearly as physically gifted as Josh Allen is. I think Levis is close to more physically gifted the way that Allen is. And so that's kind of why I said Allen at the beginning of the show, but mentality-wise, style-wise, he's a, he's a lot of he's a lot of Baker Mayfield right now. Speaking of, did you see after they scored, I believe it was the go ahead touchdown? when he is screaming levis going to the sideline yeah. and he like hugs that one coach and then he's still screaming <laughs> and he finds like somebody who will make eye contact with him and then he chest bumps this dude who's not in pads i don't know i don't know if it's like a team assistant i don't know if it's coach i, I hope it wasn't like an injured player i didn't recognize <laughs> it it was but he's just wearing a hoodie and the second that will levis like chest bumps this guy with everything he's got you can immediately see that dude Turn away from Levis and be like, "I regret that." Okay, I didn't. I didn't expect that. Okay, and it's just his mood Like it wasn't like he chest bumped Levis, and then he continued to be like, "Hell yeah!" Like let's go, baby. He chest bumped him and immediately turned around, and you could see it in his face. He was like,
0: "Okay, that's bad." That that reminded me quite a lot. So the very first touchdown I ever scored in the in the Irish League, I ended up celebrating by a chest bump right and Mm -hmm. the chest bump in question was with our largest guard who must have been 300 plus pounds and it was a full sort of airborne job right run towards each other launch forward there's a photograph of it somewhere but like full arms splayed chest to chest only i'm outweighed by like a hundred and something pounds right so the inertia, the laws of inertia—that's only ending one way. Which was for me, starting off going forward, contact. I'm now flying backwards at a rate of knots with zero control over my landing. I'm just airborne, being fired backwards in in mid-flight by the chest bump. So that's kind of what this was like, right? You went in with a chest bump and then realized at the moment of contact, oh, I'm coming off way worse on this than than should be should be reality. I feel
1: like it's it's not often you get a perfect chest bump. You know, normally one person's either a lot stronger yeah. or going into it with a lot more force than the other person is, and normally it ends on, up with somebody else. That's why I like the shoulder. Yes. You know, like I, I like jumping and then, you know, you like bump shoulders. That's the one that I like the most. So well, now anytime – if I've ever scored a touchdown or if I've ever had a big play or whatever and I go back to my quarterback or whatever – I always, if I'm about to do that, I will point at them, and I always <laughs> do this, always, because I don't want them coming chest bump at me.
0: Well, this is why I think the shoulder is has has replaced the chest bump, right? Because you realize, after this experience, that if you go sideways and you go shoulder to shoulder, even if the same thing happens and you get fired back like a like a rocket... You you were in control of your landing if you're firing. Correct. If you're flying right. sideways, right. right? When you're flying directly backwards, you're in no control over your landing.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's why. That's why. That's why I, I always I'm proactive about it now because Smart. there's there is a level of un, there is a level of fear that you have when you chest bump and you realize you didn't go in strong enough or they went in <laughs> too strong and you know the only thing that's happening next is you're getting you're laying flat on your back.
0: Yeah, so well, you're just at that, at that we're, point. We're now. At that point, you're simply hoping for a soft landing. You're like, I, yes. I don't have control over it, but I'm simply, <laughs> I'm simply wishing that this doesn't hurt on the way down. Yeah. Um, okay, because the offensive lines on both sides were either bad or getting wrecked or both. Mm-hmm. Uh, pass rushes had a huge day uh, for both teams. Um, Tennessee, uh, Harold Landry had seven pressures. Arden Key had five around the edge um, mm-hmm. attacking. And then Miami had a bunch. Like Bradley Chubb had, a, had nine pressures, had that one play, which he, was, he got a penalty for because he was so mad that Levis managed to get out of the sack and then go in and truck Jalen Ramsey. But this was one of the best games Bradley Chubb has had for the, the Miami Dolphins. And Christian Wilkins, like pass rushes for both teams were really good in this game
1: yeah I mean I I I like the Titans defensive line like going into the year a fully healthy Titans defensive line was something that um was appealing to me certainly I like Harold Landry a lot when he's healthy he's just struggled with injuries throughout his career Jeffrey Simmons is one of the best interior defensive linemen in the game I thought Arden Key played really well for the Jags last year so I thought that was a really nice signing um Uh, who is oh, Al Sheer, I I think, I know he's not an edge rusher, but like as a linebacker, as a dude who could play really physical in the box, help you out in pass rush, help you out in run defense. Like I thought that was a great signing for them too. So that was an area where I thought Tennessee should have been solid this year. Not perfect, but really solid, had some good talent along the front seven. And uh, it was nice to see them, even without Jeffrey Simmons, play a really good game last night and taking advantage of an offensive line that they should have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, let's get out of this and get into some draft mailbag stuff. Um, But first, we've got to hit the price picks lineup, unfortunately, for our guy Eli.
1: Oh, no. Two
0: for three. I thought he was
1: close. What did he miss
0: on? Two for three, and he came up 10 yards short because Jordan Love got pipped at the post and didn't get an extra 10 yards to get him over the hump. Um, But as he's pointed out, if you do it as a flex play— that's two out of three correct? You win some money. you get 1.25x your money back if you get uh, if you played it as a flex play. If however you threw all your eggs in the Eli basket, you got nothing you get nothing out of it. Um, he's coming back though he's not done. he is going to try and get it. Jamar Chase this week he's going for more than 64.5. Uh, receiving yards, Debo Samuel for more than 61.5 receiving yards. And then Kyron Williams, not shown here, but I believe he's going for more than 80.5 uh, rushing yards, which he points out he's done this in three straight games. So Eli's not, uh, not perturbed. He is determined to get his W, to get his W without a f- necessary flex play, to just straight up beat the damn game, beat the projections. Uh, if you want to play alongside Eli... Or some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view the entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. And of course, Prize Picks offers a reboot policy, which uh, means that your entries can stay in play even if one of your players gets injured, which would have been critical for Eli last week. Um, for football and basketball games, if you have a player that exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. PricePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to PricePix.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's PricePix.com slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up Up to $100. All right, Trev, draft time. Uh, You asked on Twitter yesterday for some mailbag questions, some draft day mailbag questions, and we got a bunch in, a ton of uh, responses, so let's fire through some. Um, This one is in from Finchie. Are there any day two or three quarterbacks that you see possibly becoming a future starter? Uh, before the season, people said Daniels, and he's seen some people say Spencer Rattler. So, what say you? Who are the uh, day two or three quarterbacks that you would be intrigued in? Intrigued
1: yeah, by? so, you know, I think that d- d- the day two part of it's kind of like a loaded question because I could name you J.J. McCarthy, who I think would be a day two quarterback, Quinn Ewers, who I think could be a day two quarterback, and people might say to me, like, no, whoa, those guys are going first round. Uh, maybe, but I'm not super convinced in that. There's still a lot of things that they need to learn about playing the quarterback position very cleanly. So I could see them being early second round quarterbacks. that could eventually be starters. So I think those two are, are obvious answers. I like Michael Pratt as well from Tulane. Um, we're going to get to see him at the senior bowl. So I'm very excited about that. He's somebody who going into the year was really excited about first game of the season. He looked like the second coming of Tom Brady looked incredible ends up hurting his knee in that game, comes back from injury, doesn't really look like the same guy, even with the injury, into consideration. So I'm um, excited to see him, obviously, at the All-Star weekend, um, get some momentum. I think that he could still be a second- round pick, or sorry, a second or third-round pick because of that. But he's somebody who I think has really good arm talent. I think the anticipation throws and the ball placement can be really good for him when it's on. Uh, I think he played better under pressure at the beginning of the year, but you want to see more of that from him. And we didn't see more of that from him when the tape was on, but maybe we'll see it from the Senior Bowl. But Um, Those are are some guys that I like. I think probably the true answer, and it's funny because I see people talking about him in the chat and they're not talking about him lightly, is um, Spencer Rattler. I think Spencer Rattler has become so much better of a quarterback over the last two years than people are willing to give him credit for. Am I saying that he is the uh, number one overall pick type of player that he was heralded to be when he came out of high school and was originally playing at Oklahoma? No, but... The reckless player that we saw at Oklahoma is not the same player that we have now going into the all-star circuit and into the senior bowl. He's a much better decision maker. Um, Not that it's perfect. South Carolina's offensive line was terrible over the last two years. Terrible. So the fact that he had to deal with that, the fact that he never, you never really saw him blow up on those guys, lose his cool, be a hothead like we've seen him be earlier on in his career and in you know, the high school documentary, those things, I think he is a much more mature individual. And I think that you are seeing a maturation of his game on the field because of that. So he is somebody who still has a ton of arm talent who I would be very comfortable with taking somewhere in third, fourth round, drafting and developing and allow him to uh, sit and learn because I still think he has the tools to be a starting quarterback it's just about um him continuing to improve and mature his game in a lot of other areas other than physical
0: dude his career is wild i mean his 92.5 pff grade back in 2020 is going to be one of the highest graded single seasons of anybody in this draft class but then from that point on his career like collapsed went down to a a 64 grade in 2022 Mm -hmm. um And, you know, 64 in college is rough if there's no... That would be bad for a freshman, let alone a guy that's years into his career off the back of great seasons and then bounce back this most recent year, uh, 2023, 78.1 overall, has a very high big-time throw rate for his career and a pretty high turnover-worthy play rate. But wild playmaking ability and this journey of a college career.
1: Yeah, no, and, and and I think that Yeah, I mean, he's just somebody who I would continue to bet on who I've like I said, I've I've heard from people within, you know, the South Carolina football program and and gotten to watch kind of like how he is different as a player on the field, especially when things don't go well. Um I think that how he has handled things over the last couple of years speaks volumes of kind of the head on his shoulders and where he's going and why that this is still a player that you draft and develop. So I, I like Rattler in that regard. Um, and those would probably be my guys. I, I think that Michael Pratt, Spencer, Spencer Rattler are probably the two that I would really answer for this question.
0: Um, and to your point, like, if you had said that Will Levis was going to be a day-two quarterback, like at this point a year ago, people right, would have been calling right. you a moron, right? So yeah. who knows, right? We, we It's all guesswork at this point. Even things that you think you know, you probably don't. Um, all right, one question here. This one's from Daniel Nolan. How real do you think the prospect of Marvin Harrison Jr. going back to college is with the current swirling rumors of massive NIL money in the 20 to $25 million range are. There's basically reports right now that there is NIL money that can rival the first round NFL contract that both Marvin Harrison Jr. um, and Henderson from that offense are going to potentially receive. Is that possibly real?
1: I don't think there's any chance that that happens. I also, I've like heard these reports I'd be so shocked if they were real, right? You're, I mean, nil money is already like kind of out of control, and I know boosters are just a lot of people with super deep pockets. But for you to give a wide receiver twenty to twenty five million dollars a year to play just college football for you is pretty wide and like I know that he does a lot for the school right I mean like he's somebody who has a ton of notoriety obviously you know he was a Heisman Trophy finalist he's a Blitnikoff winner like I I I understand that that for a wide receiver in college football he basically carries as much weight as you could possibly want the only reason why Marvin Harrison Jr. should come back at that point is to win a national championship and I don't think Ohio State's poised to win a national championship next year. Maybe I just don't know the roster well enough, but Kyle McCord's leaving. It's going to be a new quarterback in there anyways. Like I just, they have a ton of defensive talent. That's going to be out the door that they're going to have to replace with new guys. They were rotation players or depth players before. Um, It's the big 10. So, all right, it's a little bit easier, but you're getting a lot of more difficult opponents next year as the conference is expanding. They're going to make the college football playoff because they're Ohio state. But I don't know, man, if I'm Marvin Harrison, I, I don't think, I don't think there's any way that he would do this. That, this that, that, would be, that would be a monumental move in NIL for a guy to get paid, a non-quarterback to get paid 20 to $25 million to put off the draft one more year to come back to school. That would, If this happens, it would change the landscape of college football in a drastic way. Yeah. And I, I just I don't see it happening.
0: I just don't buy the sums of money being talked about. No, I, mean, I don't
1: either. I don't either.
0: I don't know how accurate NIL reporting numbers are, but the like the general consensus seems to be that Shadur Sanders is amongst the best paid college athletes in terms of NIL money and he's supposed to be getting like four or five million. So right, you're talking right, right. you're talking like five or six times more no. money than Shadur yeah, and, Sanders and, and, and is. For, and, and for a non QB. Right. And, and a non-like, I mean, obviously Shador is connected to Dion who brings with him like a whole bunch of these commercial connections through decades worth of being prime time, right? Like that, that's a, there's an obvious path. There's a reason that Shadur Sanders is getting that much money above and beyond his play on the field and all those kinds of things because he's directly connected to a guy that has that kind of pipeline marvin harrison jr okay marvin harrison senior it's not like he's a stranger to endorsements et cetera. but i i just don't see how you can possibly get to we're gonna times that number by five or six to keep him around
1: the only reason why i'm not completely dismissing this like on site is because i have heard just other rumors of crazy potential NIL deals to get some of these top prospects to not declare for the draft. Right. Now, none of them have happened yet. So perhaps it is just this massive game of telephone where somebody goes, Yeah, I hear they're thinking about giving Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, somewhere like seven million a year to to, to put off the draft. And somebody goes, Yeah, okay. I, I heard from a buddy that they're going to give him twelve mil. Yeah, I heard they're going to give him 15 mil. Yeah, I heard they're going to give him twenty mil. And it just the number keeps going up the further away we get from the actual source. But I've, I have heard a couple of instances of other players where there's this rumor of them being given this or offered this bag to not go to the NFL draft. So I don't know if none of it is true, like none of it is no anywhere close or not. But that's the only reason why I'm not completely dismissing this uh, off of reading it immediately.
0: Okay, this question from Tulane Cubs asks Can you break down the top three wide receivers and talk about where Malik Neighbors and Romeo Adunze fit uh, among recent wide receiver prospects and how close they are to Marvin Harrison Jr.? Some talk that the Bears shouldn't risk passing on Marvin Harrison and should take him number one overall, but that's obviously passing on a lot of picks or a quarterback uh, in a trade. So. What is our, now that we revisit on the wide receiver thing, what's the top three and how close are any of these guys to Marvin Harrison?
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still not at the camp where I'd take Marvin Harrison Jr. number one, even if I have him number one on my big board. It's just the, the NFL draft for as much as it is mitigating risk and picking the best players that you think are going to be the best pros. Uh, it's also a game and you're trying to win the game. And when you can have three first round picks um, and and pick, malik neighbors instead of marvin harrison jr i mean you, you you do that every time because it gives you more um throws of the dartboard i think i, I love all of these guys i really do i think that marvin harrison is a phenomenal player and he's he is such an easy prospect to be able to plug right into the pros and, and think that he's got all pro talent and i do believe that but i like malik neighbors a ton man the way that this dude moves is just so different like he He reminds me a little bit. I I don't know their measurables off the top of my head, but when I read this question, I was like, he kind of reminds me a little bit of how Antonio Brown used to just, like, move at a different speed. Like, Antonio Brown used to, at his peak, when he was the best receiver in the NFL, AB would be able to change direction, yet continue to accelerate. Like, zero lost speed at all whatsoever, and that is what made this dude an unstoppable separation artist. And when you watch Malik Neighbors over the last two years, but specifically this past year, he already has a diverse set of releases that he knows how to deploy against press coverage when he faces off the line scrimmage, which allows him to win and get vertical and get even and separate immediately off the line. The quickness is there. The athletic ability is there. And then, like I mentioned, he just has this physical gift where his acceleration is so fast His change of direction is so fluid, and his top speed is so good that he somehow is able to combine all of those things fluidly and smoothly to be just a a separation machine. And I think that you saw that just time and time and time again this year, and I think that's going to translate to the NFL. So I think Malik Malik Neighbors is a top-10 prospect as well. Romo Dunze, I like a lot. He feels like – I saw Ray G on Twitter uh, tweet this out, and I, I liked it. He feels like a bigger, like a super sized Chris Olave at times. And like Olave, just a very fluid, explosive, vertical threat type of a dude, but also gives you some nice route running as well. Romo Dunze is doing those things at six foot three, 215 pounds. And yeah, he's not, you know, some people compare him to like Keenan Allen. I've seen Keenan Allen before. I don't think he is as wick with change of direction right now at least from what like prime keen and allen has been throughout his career maybe he gets there with with improved but even better technique even more better releases just more work and, and more times um working on his craft but the athletic ability is there for him so i also think that rome is like rome is a wide receiver that you take in the top I'll just say 20 to be safe. So Rome's a top 20 receiver, likely more of like a top 15 receiver, if we're being honest. I think neighbors is a top 10 receiver. And then I think uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a top three receiver. So that's kind of like how I would tier them of where I would like take these guys and think that they could be extremely impactful pros and great return on investment.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely would not take Marvin Harrison number one overall, not because he's not worth it, but because of what the opportunity cost is what you could get for that pick if you've decided you're not drafting a quarterback there I just you're better off grabbing the next guy in your list a little bit lower down and using that collateral to do a bunch of other things um there's a question I lost where this one came from a while ago but somebody asked a question about Georgia tight end Brock Bowers and essentially said a how good is he and b how much is the Kyle Pitts experience going to affect his draft style, status stock the narrative around him like how high you can draft brock bowers because kyle pitts was supposed to be this new wave right this athletic specimen we'd never seen before a guy that could play tight end or true x receiver and you know a complete matchup weapon and then he goes to atlanta and the dude's just like can't be used to the degree everybody wants him to be
1: I think it will affect it a little bit because certainly with him going number four overall and then Kyle Pitts has been good, but clearly like within Atlanta's offense, it's not like he's this this game breaker every single week. I think that Bowers, like Pitts, is going to be a top five prospect for a lot of people. Um, But the rest of the class is really good. And I know that that was kind of the same thing with Pitts, but there's so many... Other good wide receivers. There's so many other good offensive tackles. There's good quarterbacks to take in the top 10. And I just feel as though a more realistic range for Bowers is more like 8 to 12 than it is in the top five. Um, and I think that that's still really impressive for a tight end. Now, Bowers is really interesting because Bowers is pretty small, like compared to most NFL tight ends. If he's six foot four, I think that's like 10th percentile for tight ends. And if he's 240 pounds, which is what Georgia has him listed at, that's eighth percentile for tight ends. So he's in the 10th and the eighth percentile for the position. Now he's obviously a different kind of cat because he's more of a receiver. So you could stack those numbers up against receiver. And obviously it looks a lot better. It's a lot bigger. And I think that's where a lot of value in his game comes from. But he is also. Where I didn't think that Kyle Pitts was a terrible, like, liability blocker. Bowers is an impact blocker. Like, this is a dude who you can legitimately put on the line of scrimmage. Now, I think a lot of his work is going to come as a slot receiver. He's going to be a big slot, a power slot, however you want to say it, more often than not. He'll be like an H-back off the line of scrimmage type of thing in two tight end sets. But he is somebody who, when you put him in 12 personnel— he could be a good blocker for you. He's strong. He's dense. He, he he's he's able to help out the run game a lot in that regard. So, I think that the NFL is going to be a little scared of drafting tight ends super high just because of Kyle Pitts, and it hasn't exactly panned out the way that people thought it was going to. But I still think this good dude's going to be a top twelve prospect. He's just too good. He's been the best tight end in college football the last three seasons. Not even close. Like he has elite overall grades as a pass catcher and really good blade grades as a blocker. In three straight seasons, true freshman year, true sophomore year, true junior year, and that's just—I mean, that's just—we that we talk about how sample sizes are so important when we're judging prospects and translating how they can be pros. Bowers has more than you could ever imagine, and it's just elite grades across the board. So that would be my assessment of where I think Bowers is going to go.
0: Yeah, I also I, like—I don't think fundamentally everybody got it wrong with Kyle Pitts. Like, I think he is being uniquely. Restricted by the specific offense that he's in, which is mm-hmm. this Arthur Smith Falcons offense that seems to go out of its way to trick defenses rather than just give the ball to their best playmakers, right? I think if, if Kyle Pitts was in a random different NFL offense that was just more conventional in terms of personnel usage and deployment and how they spread the ball around, I think he would look way better and... Nobody would be questioning the number four overall pick, right? Whether he was as a tight end or as a – if he'd been moved to X wide receiver and was some team's number one wide receiver, I think that would fly at this level as well. So I don't think it should overly affect the the Brock Bowers thing. Um, This question came in from Jack Pabich, uh, I guess that is. Where do you expect the Bears to end up drafting with their actual pick? So not the one they're going to get number one overall from Carolina, their draft pick. Now there's a solid chance that their second pick is outside of the top 10.
1: Yeah, so the Bears currently draft at five. Um, They're sitting here at five and eight. They got a two-game win streak right now. They have at Cleveland versus Arizona versus Atlanta and then at Green Bay. I think I think you could you could certainly make an argument that they go 2 and 2. Um it's, I it, I think they're either going to go 1 and 3 or 2 and 2. So however you want to look at it, I think they're winning at least one more game and they could end up winning two more games. Now, the thing about Chicago, like some people saying like hey, they could realistically pick outside the top 10. I think that that could happen if they end up winning two games because right now 5 wins and 6 wins on the current draft order, the range of that is pick five and pick 14. So it's a really right. big range. And then if you want to include like the seven win teams, you go all the way into like pick 18 and, and into the playoffs. Cause there's a couple of teams that are seven and six and in the playoffs right now. So I think more the realistic, the most realistic spot for Chicago is somewhere between pick seven and 10. I still think they're going to be a top 10 pick when it's all said and done because they have one of the lowest strength of schedules of any team in the NFL. They basically have the lowest strength of schedule of any non-NFC South team because the Falcons, the Saints, uh, oh, that might be it actually. The Falcons, the Saints, actually that is it. Those are the only two teams that I think have lower strength of schedule than Chicago. And they could obviously like go up against them and lose the tiebreaker if they have the same record as those teams because they're pretty close right now. But because they have such a low strength of schedule, I would say that Chicago is going to pick somewhere between seven and 10 when it's all said and done.
0: Yeah, it's it's crazy how close it is. Like one win for them at the moment potentially jumps them 11 or drops them 11, uh, six 2-11. spots in the draft, right? To 11. Yeah. Um, and as you say, if they win two games... Well, sure. Some of those te- other teams are going to win as well, but you know, technically,
1: technically, if they if they had one more win than they have right now, it would actually drop them to thirteen because the Falcons and the Saints would own the strength of schedule tiebreaker right. for them. So that just goes into the conversation. Yeah. So
0: one, I mean, one win could potentially drop them into the middle of the first round. Um, right. It is, like I said, the, the Justin Fields thing right now, if it wasn't for the fact that Carolina is gift wrapping the number one overall pick for them, it would be putting them in a really difficult position because they all of a sudden don't control the top of the draft. They're actually just picking in the middle of the first round with a quarterback that they're not necessarily sold on at all. It would be right. a very difficult spot for them. Um, all right, one more question, and then let's get out of here on this. Uh, this one is from The Skill. Uh, who are the tweener players that you like but are difficult to rank in this class? Big slots, smaller edges, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, I mentioned Bowers kind of being one of them, right? He I means a tight end by label, but he's a lot smaller if you compare him as a tight end. And, um, you know, if you compare him as a wide receiver, he's a bigger wide receiver. So I think that he's somebody that there's going to be a lot of conversations around. Uh, I think another one that I would bring to the table is Rook Arororo, which is the defense? Who is the defensive tackle for Clemson? He's six foot four, two hundred and ninety pounds. Plays a lot inside, but he's kind of this tweener. Like, all right, what is he here? They, they use him all over. They'll use him as a as a four eye. They'll use him as a five eye. They'll use him as a three technique. Right. So they use him plenty on on odd and even fronts. And he is just kind of one of those tweener players that you'll look at him, and some people will go, "Hey, versatility," and other people will look at him and be like, "Hey." He doesn't have a home in the league. There's just like not a specific place to place him. So um, really good tape though. Good football player. Uh, I just think that there's going to be some wide ranges of some people are going to believe that that tweener weight and size is uh, more valuable. Some people are going to think that it's less. Uh, And then the other guys that I would bring are three offensive linemen who are some of my favorite offensive linemen in this class Talize Fuaga, the offensive tackle from Oregon State. Graham Barton, the offensive tackle from Duke. Troy Fountainow, the offensive tackle for Washington. I mentioned offensive tackle for all three of those players because that's where they play right now. Fountainau and Barton play left tackle. Talize Fuaga plays right tackle. I think all of them might end up being interior offensive linemen in the NFL. I think Fuaga's got the best chance to still be a tackle, and I'd play him at tackle first. I mentioned we're gonna have a lot of the same conversations with him that we had with Peter Skoronsky, who immediately kicked inside. Right. I feel like he should have been given a chance to play a tackle, but whatever. Um and those are all guys who really good tape, really good offensive linemen. Just what do you do with them? I don't I don't know if Barton I think Barton could probably survive a tackle. I don't know if Fountain now could do it, even though I, I I really like who he is as an offensive lineman. So those guys are you're going to hear a lot of, like I said, like Peter Skoronsky, Elijah Vera Tucker type of conversations with a lot of these guys. And some people are going to say that makes them more valuable. Some people are going to say it makes them less valuable because you can't really position them and and not have to think about it. It might take a little bit of creativity and it might take a little bit of, uh, of a learning curve for those guys. So I think that those would be the players that immediately stand out to me as some of the more notable tweeners.
0: All right, that'll do it for the show today. Uh, if you want to send us more mailbag questions for the future, NFL podcast at pff.com. Uh, myself and Steve will be back tomorrow with another different mailbag episode, a more NFL general one, and uh, we will talk to you again soon.